Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 215. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT Podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I am joined by someone from the amazing Blueprint MCAT team. This week, we are continuing our co-hosting duties with Madeline from Blueprint MCAT, continuing our breakdown of full length one, Bio Biochem Passage 5, talking about aquaporins. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? I hope it does to you. It doesn't really sound exciting to me, but that's why I love this podcast because I get so much feedback from you all that this podcast helps so many of you for free to help you score well on the MCAT. So hopefully this one continues that trend. Let's go and jump in. Say hello to Madeline. Madeline back for another MCAT podcast, this time continuing our breakdown of Blueprint MCAT Full Length 1. We are continuing where we left off with Joy and Bio Biochem. Oh, so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the questions I love to ask, and I'll ask you because uh, you're, you're new here doing content with us on the MCAT podcast, is the bio biochem section happens after lunch, right? And assuming we're, we're back into normal time length and not in COVID compressed, no lunch time. Um, so students do chem fizz, cars, go out to lunch and uh, eat their sorrows away because they, they think they bombed the first part of the MCAT. Um, what kind of mindset discussion, right? We were talking a little bit about grace and all of that in the the last episode. Mm-hmm. What kind of mindset or self-talk or, or what advice do you have for students as they come back to the test center, sit back down in their chair and uh, get back to the MCAT for biobiochem? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is actually during that break, utilize it. First thing, take the break. Um, second thing, I think breathing. I, this might sound so hocus pocus, a lot of meditation thought process, but <laughs> I love some woo woo. Yeah. Right. Um, but take some breaths, um, yeah. breathe in, breathe out and realize that however, whatever happened before that's done, like yeah. it is over and it is done. The only thing that you can change is like 
the next process. And so the great thing about that is it's kind of a clean slate. Like you can go in and you can still absolutely crush it. And the other crazy thing is like you actually, even if you feel like you might have bombed it, you have no idea. There have been so many students that I've had who come out of tests who said, that was the worst test of my life. That was so hard. I know I did awful. And they get their scores back and it was their best test. Of course. Um, that's not always the case. Absolutely not always the case. But just because you feel a certain way does not mean that you did badly. And so if you can change that mindset and think, okay, I might have felt badly. I might have done great. Let's let's just hit this next ses- section with everything I have, take some deep breaths and go into it with that mindset. I think yeah. that's really powerful. Yeah. The moral of that story is we are the worst judges of our own performance, whether mm-hmm. that's on the MCATs, whether that's uh, during our med school interviews, every student walks out of that going, that was horrible. And then two days later, they get their their uh, acceptance and they're like, you did amazing in your interview. They're like, okay, I guess I did. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, we are just terrible judges of ourselves. Um, and that's, that's across the board for everyone. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really, really good advice. So All right. You ready to dive into some content? Let's dive into some content. All right. So uh, for those of you listening to the podcast, we were recording all of these. So you can go onto YouTube and and follow along. But we'll also read the question here for you. So you can follow along in audio form. So why don't you go ahead and and read passage five here? Great. Uh, The flux of water across biological membranes is facilitated by transmembrane protein channels called aquaporins or AQPSs. AQPSs passively transport water in response to osmotic gradients while excluding the movement of ions, including protons. Thus, they are highly important for cell volume regulation. One particular aquaporin, AQP5, has been a recent focus of study due to its involvement in cystic fibrosis and several other diseases. So at this point, I would actually pause um, and just kind of reflect back as to what was important about that that paragraph and then highlight it. So here, I would actually highlight um, transmembrane protein channels um, and water are called aquaporins. Ooh. Yeah, aquaporins. Mm-hmm. Gotta love it. And then also the excluding the movement of ions, including protons. Highlighting these two things will basically say, hey, this is what we're looking at and this is their function. Yeah. Um, boy, if you ever have to look back, you know what it is. Yeah. Great. To better understand this topic, researchers developed a mutant construct, the human embryonic kidney, HEK cells, in which the S156 residue was replaced with glutamate. This mutation has been previously observed to have a phosphomimetic, phosphorylation mimicking, effect on the residue. Membrane expression of AQP5 is in these S156 E cells, was compared to expression in wild type HEK cells. Researchers also assessed the effect of myos tosylated PKI-1422 amide, a known PKA inhibitor, on both S156E and wild-type cells. Figure 1 shows the measurements of expression performed after 30 minutes of inhibitor exposure. So here, I think I would definitely highlight like this mutant construct in those HEK cells. So just mutant construct and HEK, perfect. Uh, then the mo- the phosphomimetic phosphorylation mimicking, I would highlight that. And then the last thing I think I would highlight is going to be that membrane expression of AQP5 in these S156E cells. 
Um, and then the rest of that paragraph is describing the, the experiment. So I'd actually leave it un, unhighlighted, but you can come back and if it asks you about, you know, the experiment, you can go back and look at it. Yeah. So basically we're just highlighting again, what, what is it and what has been done on that mutant construct to make it the S156E cells. Okay. Great. And then we have our figure. A lot of times when uh, when I'm talking with students, I would say kind of skip the figure, look at what the figure is about. So the figure description says, figure one, membrane expression of AQP5 in wild type and mutant HEK cells with orthate out PKA inhibition. So here we just know what it is. If we're asked about it, we can come back and analyze it, but we're not going to do a big deep dive into that figure right now. Okay. So you wouldn't you wouldn't typically recommend a student try to figure out what's in this graph right now? No, I would not. I think in general, what happens is you, if you do a deep dive into that, you're doing this really big generalized analysis and evaluating based on a ton of different factors, whereas questions are usually much more pointed. And so if you're able, if you go into, you know, a deep dive, you could be spending minutes depending on how complicated uh, a figure is. And we don't want to spend that time. Rather, we would, we would rather basically read the rest of the passage. And then if the question is asked to go back to a figure or to evaluate the results, you know what you're looking for and you can do a much more efficient and effective analysis than a generalized overall um, kind of shotgun approach. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Because the question, <laughs> there might not be any questions on that graph. We don't know. Yeah, there may not be any, um, which is, that would suck if you did five minutes <laughs> analysis, right? Yep. Um, Cool. So back to the, the passage, the proper regulation of membrane protein abundance requires a delicate balance between two opposing processes, translocation to and internalization from the membrane. Translocation and internalization of AQP5 has been shown to be regulated by at least two factors, the phosphorylation state of the S156 residue on the AQP5 protein and the signaling effect of both cyclic AMP, CAMP, and protein kinase A, PKA. Interestingly, increased CAMP levels were observed to have a biphasic phasic? <laughs> effect on the, on the subcellular distribution of AQP5 with decreased expression in the plasma membrane in the short term, less than one hour, followed by an increase in membrane abundance in the long term, over one hour. Dysfunctional trafficking of AQP5 has been implicated in several human disease states, including Sondrin's autoimmune syndrome. Sjogren's. Sjogren's, yes. thank you. Um, autoimmune uh, syndrome, bronchitis, and cystic fibrosis. That Sjog is Sjogren's a, is a tricky one. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, that's, a, that's a packed paragraph, I would say. Yes. I'd say we saw a lot of different things in this one. So I definitely would want to reflect for a second and say, okay, what was this even about? And then go back and highlight again. So I think the main things I pulled out was, you know, you have these two opposing processes. So I'd highlight that and then the, the two being translocation and internalization. And then what those two processes are even regulated by, um, which is going to be the phosphorylation state of the S156 residue with the signaling activity. And then I would highlight the cyclic AMP and the protein kinase A. And the last thing I would highlight um, would just be the decreased expression in the short term and the long term. So just decreased expression short term and long time term, because that shows us that biphasic um, effect basically in what we're talking about in terms of like the, the timeline there. So I'd say that's a, that's a pretty dense paragraph because there's three different things being talked about, but if you can highlight them kind of efficiently, like we just did, suddenly, you know, like here are the three things and this is what they, 
which is great. Yeah. I think highlighting is such an important skill that those who self-study don't don't have mm-hmm. that sort of um, kind of coaching of like, don't highlight everything, right? the broad paintbrush yeah. through everything. Um, and, and here's some strategic ways to highlight and, until they listen to the podcast mm-hmm. or watch the video and they see what a top score on the MCAT would highlight, then it's like, okay, now I understand that all this other stuff is irrelevant, mm-hmm. uh, potentially irrelevant, just based on, on what, what we know. And then we can, we can just quickly move through. Absolutely. I know Armin says hyper highlighting disorder is like, you know, I think we all (laughs) think everything's important and just highlight everything. But I think that the skill of reading a paragraph, pausing, reflecting, and then highlighting actually avoids that because then you're thinking what's actually important versus what's not based on my reflection and then highlighting parallel to that kind of presupposition. So I think that that can be a really helpful way to avoid that hyper highlighting disorder that a lot of us have versus versus highlighting as you read. Yes. Highlighting as you read. Again, I think that because we all think it's so important, like these are all pretty dense words. They, it seems like a lot of it's important. So if you're highlighting as you go, you're just going to highlight all of it rather than having a more bird's eye view of reflecting before. So makes sense. Okay. (gasps) All right. (laughs) Question 23. I'll I'll start with this one. Researchers later isolate another residue that tends to be phosphorylated at position 259 of the AQP5 protein. If they desire to replicate the results described in the passage with a phosphomimetic mutant construct, this construct is most likely to be A, T259D, B, Y259A, C, 259E, F259E or D G 259W. And at this point, I'm going, where the heck did they talk about any of these things? Um, And so I'm going to quickly glance through, right? And I go, okay, I see one thing here that says S156E. That looks very similar to the answer choices, but that's not anywhere in there. Uh, I go to the the figure and I go, um, there's not really anything there that would help me other the other than the S156E is still there. Um, and so I would likely literally just skip this question, like pick one, because I have no idea what the the S and the E stand for very quickly trying to figure this out. And then throwing these T and D and Y and A and F and E and G and W out at me. Uh, obviously, two five nine is the same in each. Um, I would skip this. Where am I supposed to start with this one? Great question. Well, first <laughs> things first. I like that you said that because honestly, if that's where you are on the MCAT, that's a great strategy. <laughs> if you don't know, an extra time won't help you. Skip it and keep going. Um, however, if you have this kind of thought process of like where to go, there's two things. I love that you pointed out the part where it says S one fifty. 156E. That's exactly where we do want to kind of go because they are saying in the question stem that they've isolated a similar residue that's phosphorylated. Well, in our passage, we highlighted a phosphorylation mimicking effect of the residue. So it would make sense that we're going to be looking in the same part of the passage where we highlighted that as is being referenced in our question stem, the phosphorylation. 
Um, and then it specifically says that this type of residue is going to have the mutant of S156E cells. Now here, this is where a little bit of content comes in because this is a really common way to show a specific amino acid switch at a certain number of residue within a, um, a primary amino acid chain. So what I mean by that is like you have your primary amino acids that are set up kind of like beads on like a beaded necklace or a beaded chain. And each one of those is given a uh, position like one, two, three, all the way up to, you know, 156 here. And each one of those has a specific amino acid that's going to be um, going to be shown as, you know, serine or cysteine, alanine, et cetera. And that's going to be shown as it's um, one letter code. So here at S156, that's saying our original residue was a uh, serine residue at position 156. The E at the end of it is actually saying, this is what we're switching that to. So it was serine and now it's this other thing. And so here it's gonna be an E. So E is going to be your um, glut glutamic um, acid. So glutamic acid is going to be um, basically one of your acidic amino acids, which means it has a negative charge. So we're going from something that's polar with an OH group for your serine to something that has a negative charge to your glutamine. So we just want to see something that's parallel to that same change mm -hmm. in our amino acids. So it doesn't actually matter the 259 in our answer choices because those are all the same. Yep. So we're just looking, do we see something that looks like serine? And do we look like see something that looks like a negative or an acidic amino acid that's being changed to? Yeah. So that's what we're going to be looking at in our answer choices. So this is the perfect example of... Uh, of something, right? I was mentioning earlier in medicine, I can't diagnose something I've never seen. For for this type of question, right? It didn't even cross my mind that this was an amino acid question. Mm -hmm. But as soon as a student recognizes this or hears for the first time these these weird letters and numbers and like just cluing them to, is this amino acid stuff? Oh, what? Let me see what amino acids are happening over here. Oh, okay. I see the pattern now, right? I, I just didn't even cross my mind that this was amino acids, but of course it's amino acids because the AAMC loves testing amino acids for, for some silly reason. Wonderful. And I actually love that you said that because even if you didn't know this pattern, I will say this, if we were looking at this and it's talking about a protein and it's talking about residues on a protein, well, usually residues are amino acids. And then we see this S and this E, and we know amino acids have these one letter codes. So maybe even if you didn't quite know that that's like a convention of, you know, showing when you're switching an amino acid on a residue, you might still be able to get there using those tips and tricks of, yeah. I know what residues are. And then in context, I think I know what's happening here. So there are some time, types of like strategies where it's like, maybe I don't know, but this is where I could go. Yeah. Awesome. Great. All right. So basically, because we do see that and we see a serine, so serine has um, a typical OH group on it. That's going to be really, uh, that's going to be why it's polar uh, and kind of considered that. And we see the E, which has that glut glutamic acid or that glutamate, which has that negative charge. We're just going to look through these and say, which one of these has an OH and which one of these is negative. So A, T is going to be your threonine, which has an OH group. And D is going to be your spartic acid or your spartate, which has a negative. So already this one's seem pretty dang good. So I would actually, if I were uh, really rushed for time, kind of choose this one, but we want to go through all of them. So B has tyrosine, uh, which does have an OH group, but it's going to A, which is an alanine, which is a nonpolar. So we'd have to say no to B. C has a phenylalanine, which does not have an OH group. So we could cross out that. And D has a 
um, G going to a W. So uh, uh, glycine going to a tryptophan. So glycine is nonpolar, so we can also X that one out. So by default, a process of elimination, it's A, but also that would make sense with our predictions. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to predict that one. <laughs> I, I was not. Okay, good. I, I'm glad. That sounds I, good. <laughs> yes. I, I like I like the ones where I really, really struggle because those are where uh, I, hopefully the teaching can come out for students. I love it. All right. Why don't you go ahead and read 24 here? Wonderful. Let's do it. So 24, the results in figure one and the information in the passage most strongly support which of the following conclusions? So the first thing here is they tell you where to look, yeah. um, which is wonderful. They say the results in figure one. So in this case, I actually would go to figure one. And this is a point where because there can be so many conclusions to draw from figure one, this is a great way to use a strategy called process of elimination or POE. So we can go from each one of these and just say, does this fit with figure one? Yes. Check. If not, then we can kind of cross it out and keep going. So okay. let's do that. Phosphorylation of FS156 by protein kinase A promotes the immediate localization of AQP5 to the plasma membrane. So if we're looking at our graph, we're seeing the phosphorylation of S156 would be that S156E column. But you know what? I actually did a mistake that I tell students never to do. <laughs> so this is a good point for learning. I just jumped into that question. We do want to see first, what are we even looking at and do a little bit of a general thing. So if we do look at our graph really fast, we want to see on our x-axis, we have our wild type, AQP5, hex cells, and our... Um, phosphomimetic version. And then on our y-axis, we have relative membrane expression. So that means that you're getting a higher, you know, a localization to that membrane uh, if you have a higher number on that y-axis. We also have two different um, options here. We have the uninhibited control and then the PKA inhibition. The one thing we want to know here is PKA is going to be a protein kinase A. If that is inhibited, that is it's kind of what's happening here. We're inhibiting your PKA. So we're going to talk about what that means when we get into these answer choices. But that's the first thing. You do want to know kind of what you're looking at before you do jump into the answer choices. So don't make a mistake I just made. Okay. Um, so A, phosphorylation of S156 by protein kinase A promotes the immediate localization of AQP5 to the plasma membrane. So first things first, this is a graph that just says something has been inhibited and something has been phosphorylated. Yep. We don't have the mechanism through which that has happened. So there's a key word here where it's phosphorylation by pro protein kinase A. Nothing has told us that protein kinase A is actually the, the, the kinase or the protein that phosphorylates S156. Um, so in that case, that's actually going beyond, even in those first few words, that's going beyond what can be given by the graph because it's talking about a mechanistic factor that mm. is not involved here. Okay. So that's, I would cross out A because it's saying that PKA is doing the phosphorylation. Yeah. And we don't know so that. B, yeah. <laughs> B, the phosphorylation of S156 promotes the internalization of AQP5 in the short term. So there's another kind of key thing here that I would be really scared about. What would you say that is? Um, I don't know. It, it seems like this is another mechanism type answer here, right? It's mm -hmm. it's saying this is promoting this, but, but again, do we have that information? That's 
part of it. But I think the big thing here is if we look at our graph and it says relative membrane expression, There's would no that time. be internalization or localization to the membrane? Mm. You think that would like internalize something if you're going out to the membrane? Yeah, no. No, so that's actually the key word here. So if we're looking at our graph and we see phosphorylation of S156, which is that second column, and we see an increased mem- number uh, after that PKA inhibition of your relative membrane expression of your AQP5. Well, if you're getting more on the membrane, you're not going to have more internalized. Yeah. And so because of that reason, B is going to be wrong because B is saying internalization, but we're actually getting an increase of localization to the membrane. Yeah. I was going to say there's there's no time associated with it, but it does up here. So it's a little tricky. Um, mm-hmm. The the figure one shows measurements of expression performed after 30 minutes. So if a student was only focused on the figure and the caption, they would have missed that time is involved in the figure. That's a great comment. Um, absolutely. So not only is that... Um, the 30 minutes of inhibitor exposure important, but also that kind of definition of what is short-term, that's actually in the paragraph afterward where it says less than one hour. Um, so even if we didn't know, like uh, basically if that 30 minutes was you know, considered or classified as short-term, it does tell you even later in that paragraph what the classification of short-term is. Yep. And because it is less than 30 minutes, then it does count. So yep. check on. Awesome comment. Um, C, protein kinase A pronounced the internalization of AQP5 in the short term. So here, short term, again, we're okay with that because it said the 30 minutes. So now we're looking at the part where it says PKA promotes internalization. So here, we kind of just said that PKA inhibition, so if you take out PKA, you're going to have things going to the membrane. You're going to have APQ5 going to the membrane or localizing. So if you put PKA activity back in, then it would make sense that you're going to have more internalization. Yep. So this would actually make sense because protein kinase A would then promote the internalization because if we take out protein kinase A, your APQ5 is now going to be going to the membrane and not being internalized. Yep. So this one's a little bit tricky because it's almost like it's an opposite process of what's being shown in the graph. Yep. Great. And so because that one makes sense, we could just choose that, but let's look at D. So 30 minutes of exposure to PKA stimulates the internalization of AQP5, a process that's upregulated when S156 is phosphorylated. Okay, (laughs) so kind of a longer one there. But basically, figure one shows the 30 minutes of exposure to PKA inhibitor promotes the membrane expression in both the wild type and the mutant strains. So because of that, and here we're saying, you know, PKA does stimulate the internalization, but but the important thing here is is basically that the graph does not provide sufficient Im- information to clearly predict what would happen after 30 minutes of exposure to just PKA. So here we don't have something with just PKA in it or anything like that. It's not isolating the factors um, in order to draw this conclusion. We only have APQ5 wild type with this phosphomimetic version of our AQP5, but we don't have anything where it's only with PKA and not with PKA. Okay. That's the key here. Wow. Yeah. These are heavy hitters. Analysis. (laughs) Over podcast. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, that this is one where after lunch, my, my tears are flowing going, <laughs> I'm never going to be a doctor. Um, okay. 
Trust me, people, you don't need this information to be a doctor. This is crazy. All right. Question 25. Which of the following enzymes should the researchers add to the cell samples if they want to reverse the general catalytic effects of protein kinase A? A, glycogen phosphorylase, B, phosphoglucomutase, C, protein phosphatase 1, or D, lactate dehydrogenase. Wow. Okay. So reverse the general catalytic effects of protein kinase A. And so I'm assuming the catalytic effects are the internalization of this AQP5. Because um, I think I think that's what they're asking. Um, man, I don't remember any of this stuff. So as we look at this, as I look at this, <clears throat> the this this to me screams like it's a pseudo discrete question of how does protein kinase A work and what enzymes potentially would block that? Is that a good starting point? I think that's a great starting point. Okay. Um, I think that's fantastic. And I actually think that that's one of the really good strategies. If you're ever looking at a question and you're like, oh, what is this even asking? Rephrase the question. And if you're able to rephrase it, then you probably understand what it's asking. If you're not able to rephrase it, then maybe you need to look at it a little bit longer, maybe reword it, do a little mental gymnastics to understand what's happening. But what you just said is a perfect um, kind of rephrase of that question. Okay. So I can rephrase it. I can't finish it from there though. Great. Let's do it. <laughs> so I would say one, there's a little trick on this one um, in, a, in a helpful way. So this is protein kinase A. So there's two ways we can go about this. The first way is knowing what a kinase does. So a kinase is going to be a specific enzyme that adds a phosphate onto a group. So if we want, or onto a protein specifically. Um, so if we want to take away, I mean, if something's added on by a kinase, a phosphate is added on by a kinase, the opposite would be to take away a kinase, uh, a phosphate group. And so here we could say, okay, what are the two things that take away a phosphate group? Well, it's probably going to be something with phospho in it. So we can take away D from that because yep. that's lactate dehydrogenase, but that doesn't have anything with phospho in it. So we're left with A, B, and C, glycogen phosphorylase, phosphoglucomutase, and protein phosphatase 1. So with just those words, and we're talking about something that phosphorylates a protein, which of those three would make sense that you're taking a phospho group off of a protein? Protein phosphatase one. Fo protein phosphatase one. Exactly. So it actually is going to be C because that's the only one that actually tells you that it's being taken from a protein. Um, a is saying glycogen. We're not talking about glycogen here. Yep. Uh, phosphoglucomutase. Um, the actually the type of enzyme that's talking about here isn't the phosphoglucose part. It's actually the mutase. So we're talking about a mutase, which is something that I like to think of like it mutates something or it changes its shape. Yep. That doesn't have to do with phosphate groups necessarily, even though it has that trick of, hey, here's phospho. Um, even though it has that little trick, we want to look at what type of enzyme it is. And it's a mutase, which does not kind of come into play here. So it is going to be C, your protein phosphatase 1. But if you didn't know anything about the function of enzymes, you might be able to get it just by saying protein kinase, that's going to do something to a protein. 
C is the only thing with protein in it. Yeah. <laughs> so if only the MCAT were that easy. If only the MCAT were always that easy, right? Yes. All right, 26, all you. Awesome. So a rapid mechanism is thought to govern the localization of AQP5 in response to changes in extracellular osmolarity. If this mechanism is independent of both PKA activity and S156 phosphorylation, which of the following will most likely be observed? This is a perfect time to reword the question. <laughs> oh, I thought you said to cry. Um, I had to cry, you know, okay. you, whoever, whoever you are. <laughs> I think whenever you see something that's more than two sentences, definitely more than two lines, take a second to say, what is this even asking us? So here it's saying, Basically, there's a localization that changes based on extracellular osmolarity. So we know we're doing something with osmolarity. And then if there's a mechanism that's independent of everything in the passage, which can be observed. So aquaporins going to membrane, dependent on osmolarity, what can we expect to happen when we have more aquaporins in our membrane, dependent on os osmolarity? That's how I re rephrase that. So you take all that information and you distill it into its four important components and or three, however many there are, but here it was four um, important components and then go with that. And then before I even went to the option, I answer choices, I would think, what's my prediction for this? So we're talking about aquaporins. So something that allows for passive diffusion, that's kind of said in the passage in that first paragraph. It's saying, you know, we have these aquaporins that allow for passive transport of water that goes onto the membrane and has to do with osmolarity. So I'm going to think maybe we're talking about maybe some osmosis, maybe some hypotonic, hypertonic solutions that you guys might remember from high school or Jack Hammer now or yesterday um, and kind of looking at what can happen in those. So that's kind of, kind of my thought process of where this question's going. And then I go into the answer choices. So A, HEK cells exposed to the most hypotonic conditions will display the greatest degree of AQP5 membrane localization, allowing wa water to flow out of the cells. So the big thing here is they're saying hypotonic conditions will allow water to flow out of the cells. If we think about osmosis and hypotonic, doesn't make hypotonic sense. means what? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Exactly. So this one does not make sense at all. That's a great way to say that. Um, because hypotonic, we would be flowing into our cells. Yeah. So B, Hex cells exposed to the most hypotonic conditions will display the greatest degree of AQP5 membrane localization, allowing water to flow into the cells. Well, this one makes sense because we did say hypotonic would flow into the cells. Yep. C. Hex cells exposed to isotonic conditions will display greatest degree of AQP5 membrane localization, allowing water to flow out of the cells. Isotonic means you have the same tonicity of both conditions, so it didn't wouldn't make sense if there's any water flowing. Yep. So we can say no to C. And then D is hex cells exposed to isotonic conditions will display the greatest degree of AQP5 membrane localization, allowing flow out of the cells. Same reasoning for C, isotonic isn't going to have any flow. So that's a no to A, C, and D, which is B is correct. I like the ones that look very scary, but then are really easy. Absolutely. <laughs> this is basically just an osmosis question. This is basically just an osmosis question. I'm so glad that you said that. Yeah. Uh, yes, very long. The question stem and the answer choices are long, but it's asking you, hey, what's osmosis? Yeah. Love it. Oh, all right. I think that was the last question for this one. It was. Okay. Nicely done. So when you get to the end of a passage, what what's your 
routine to to quickly reset to go to the next passage? Um, I think usually for me, and I would usually stretch my neck and I breathe three times. Um, that sounds dorky, but I will say, I know that there's actually a document that Blueprint gives us about stress management. And one of the biggest things is just breathing. And that's one of the things that they tell you, you know, three breaths can reset basically your, your, your mind, um, in, in acute anxiety situations. So do three breaths, stretch my neck, go for it. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a reason when, when people are, are stressing out, everyone else says, breathe, breathe, <laughs> which is the, the last thing anyone wants to hear. Be like, I am breathing. I'm alive. I'm breathing. Shut up. <laughs> Give me something useful. Uh, but it is useful. So <laughs> Awesome. All right. That was a scary passage and and one that a student may get on MCAT test day and you just have to go, that sucked and take my three breaths and move on. Because if I, if I continue to, to dwell on the previous passage, it's going to, it's going to ruin me for the next passage as well. Absolutely. All right, so there you have it. Another great episode with Madeline breaking down bio biochem passage five from Blueprint MCAT full length one, which if you didn't know, you can get for free by signing up at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Their full length exams are far and away the best third party exams that you can buy for the MCAT that you can use to prepare for the MCAT. The AAMC is the gold standard, right? They make the MCAT. You should use their exams. But if you have time and the resources to use some more exams, go check out blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Remember that you get a half-length diagnostic and a full-length one for free over at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.